the substance of a meal is the meat and potatoes or the, the main course, that sort of thing. And films are really just the dessert. Hmm. And I, I said to him, wait a minute, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Because the action consequence connections that are expressed in every film, every film, and the stories which are doctor or, or principal put into action, that is the substance of what life decisions end up being. And it affects people immensely, and they don't even realize it. It's very often pretty subtle, but it does affect the decision-making, our value judgments, what we seek, what we choose not to seek, um, what we dwell in our thinking on. Those things matter immensely. So I, I say that a film is as long, along with any other medium, a main course, not a just a dessert. Six hundred episodes is a lot of episodes, and we need your help to celebrate it. Certainly, there have been moments that you've said, "Oh my gosh, that's profound," or "I had no idea," or "This moment in cultural hall mis- history mystery I don't know makes me so mad." That's why the M sound came out. I need to let Richie know about this. Whatever the thing is, whatever your passion, the thing that drives you to listen to the cultural hall week over week over week, uh, send us an email contact at theculturalhall.com. Uh, would love to be maybe be able to capture some of those moments, share them in an upcoming compilation episode as we celebrate 600 episodes of the Cultural Hall. Uh, you got a question that you've always been burning to know about? You can do that too. Uh, contact at theculturalhall.com is where you send the emails, uh, the voicemails, the just uh, regular side notes. You could DM us. You can slide into those DMs as no one says anymore. Uh, but point is, get in contact with us. We're making our way towards 600 and would like you to help us celebrate in whatever way you feel comfortable. So do it. Feel comfortable in at least one way, all right? Contact at theculturalhall.com. Here's this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, a long-awaited episode of The Cultural Hall. I'll have you know, Robert, right before we started, I said, hey, I'm going to go visit with Robert Hatch. And you, actually, you and I have never met in person, but you have met my wife. She said, you haven't done that interview already? And I said, no, it was scheduling things. And she says, well, get down there. I want to know more about him. Thank you for being here in The Cultural Hall, Robert. Glad to be here. Uh, thank uh, you for inviting me. If people don't know who Robert Hatch is, how do you succinctly, and in this way that we always become kind of uncomfortable when we talk about ourselves, how do you say, Robert Hatch is, this is who I am? I create worlds. That's what I do. And I clone people. (laughs) And I create visions. (laughs) Okay, I say that with a smile because the worlds I create are worlds of a drama, of a play, of a story. And it's a world in which these these characters inhabit and it has its own um, elements to it but storylines and such and that's what a film is and that's what I do is I create films I'm a director producer and also writer as well and you said plays have you written plays for the stage Uh, no I when I say plays I mean um, in the largest sense of drama sure and and, uh, what's important to understand is that we all of us consume a great deal of media. And I think it's very important for all of us to understand uh, and make wise choices of what we are consuming. Now, we are molecularly what we eat. And so we therefore (laughs) are wise to have good nutrition 
and 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 uh, not just binge on uh, uh, sugars, but uh, uh, have 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 good nutritional thinking like that. But same is true, not just physically, but also spiritually, especially, mm-hmm. and emotionally, and socially, and intellectually. And these are the realms uh, that comprise our lives: physical, spiritual, emotional, social, intellectual. And we should ingest into our eyes and our ears that which is nutritious for us as well. And I'm excited to, to get an idea of what you feel like is nutritious as we have the discussion about the media that we consume and also the media that you produce. Give me an idea, people that are listening to this, uh, something that they might have seen that would be a Robert Hatch production. Okay, let me get to that in just a minute, and I'll talk about the nutrition first. Um, uh, when I speak of uh, nutrition e- emotionally and socially, intellectually, but especially spiritually, um, there are ingredients or nutrients, I guess, or poisons uh, that we should be aware of. And um, what I call the Hollywood lie is when there are actions taken by characters in the film, and then consequences come from those actions, but they're not true consequences. Hmm. They're not actually connected. So in a Hollywood film, it's obvious that uh, somebody um, uh, commits immoral acts and then they go off and they're uh, feeling in love and happy and joyous. And that's the results of doing that sort of thing. That's the Hollywood lie. Mm-hmm. It's action, consequence, connections that are not true. And a truth is where you have actions that bring true consequences or true, true results. And the marvelous thing about the values that we espouse, uh, the things that church teaches, the things many churches teach, is that there are action consequence connections expressed in scripture that uh, are very important for us to understand so that we don't go about our lives doing things that we regret later and doing things that for which there are unintended consequences. So to be informed spiritually and emotionally, socially, intellectually is to understand, have consequential thinking, consequential knowledge. And so um, I, I express that as a prelude to talk about films here a little bit because we need to understand what a film is. And what if, in fact, let me express this. Early in my career, I graduated from BYU in film production. And then I was asked to teach their film production, which I did for several years, adjunct professor. So it was evening classes, but I was working for BYU Studios, uh, films for the church that I was producing. And then I had to go out of state a lot uh, doing that, had to hand off the teaching to others. But um, Early in my career at that era, I was asked to be on a panel discussion um, of members of the church who were uh, in arts and media of all kinds. And so I go and there are five panelists and the um, uh, moderator says, I won't introduce you. I'd like each of you to stand, say who you are, what you do and why it's important. And he pointed to the other end of the five of us. And it was the president of Deseret Book. And he stood up and, and said, well, books are important because, after all, they have their precedent in the scriptures. The scriptures are a comp- compilation of books, and uh, it has its precedence in the scriptures. And then the next one was the president of Bookcraft back then. It's since been bought by Ezra Book. said about the same thing. The third was a composer, and he had composed three hymns in the hymn book and, and many other things. And he said, well, music's important. After all, the uh, book of Psalms was a hymn book. And 
at the Last Supper, before the Savior and the apostles went to Gethsemane, they sang a hymn. And so music has its precedent in the scriptures. The next one was the fellow who was the voice of music in the spoken word with the Tabernacle Choir, and he stood up and in a sonorous voice, he said, well, the spoken word has its precedent in the scriptures. The prophets preached and it was written down. That became scriptures. And I'm hearing all of this and I'm a film director. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? And I was praying, what should I say? And as I stood up, it came to me. And I said to the group, you see, everyone has their precedent in the scriptures and I make films and you're wondering what I'm going to say about that. And here's the answer. Visions. <laughs> and everyone laughed. I didn't really say it with comic intent, but you think about that. Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of the prophets had visions. And you look at what was shown to them and what was spoken to them. Somebody wrote a script. Hmm. It was a screenplay or a vision play, you might call it. And a vision is a movie. It's a film. So you have uh, all of the visions in all throughout the Bible that somebody wrote a script and then produced it, showed it, created it, and then showed it for that audience, meaning the prophet. Um, from an LDS perspective, you have Lehi and his great dream early in the Book of Mormon. And he there's one chapter, chapter 8 of 1 Nephi, that describes it. And then his son wanted to see the same movie. So mm -hmm. he went and prayed. And his description of it goes for four chapters. I guess Nephi was shown the director's cut. <laughs> but visions are movies. And they have value. They have meaning for all of us. And what is shown in those visions? It's items and people and things, but it's storylines particularly. And this is what I'm getting at here. A story is highly valuable and meaningful to us. Why? Because a story is principle put into action or doctrine put into action. And principle and doctrine put into action informs us not only what it means, how it's used, what it does, but it shows the action and consequence connections. This leads to that. And, and, we're, and, and what I appreciate about that, too, is the way that I feel like we're taught is that whether we adhere to whatever the principle or doctrine is or not, the story continues. Meaning, we're able to take the example of, you know, a, a, a prophet or you know an individual within scriptures or even within life. I mean, you hear you see this sort of walked out in 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 those church talks, etc. Where here was the doctrine, here's what the person did, and we go, okay, well, what happens when they either chose to do it or chose not to do it, and then we kind of follow those consequences through. Yes, excellent. Um, the phrase is used dozens and dozens of times in the Book of Mormon, it says, and thus we see. It gives a little summary. Mm -hmm. In other words, here's what happened. So in our lives, we live our lives in stories, and uh, stories comprise our relationships, our uh, actions, our, our work, all of these sort of things. And I don't mean that in a, a, a silly, light-minded entertainment way necessarily, but a story is action put into consequence. And it's valuable to us to comprehend it that way. When I read the Bible, the scriptures, I find three big categories of things that are in them, which I think are highly beneficial and meaningful to all of us. The first category, and I say category because there's many <laughs> elements and permutations of this, but the first category is the doctrine. 
And of course, everyone thinks, well, you know, open the scriptures, of course, you're going to read the doctrine. Of course, that's right. Mm -hmm. But the second category is stories, the doctrine put into action. So the scriptures, all of them, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, all the scriptures are stories. And even the Doctrine and Covenants, it's uh, an an almost all the sections are a, an answer to a question. And uh, so these are stories of people. The Book of Mormon is a series of stories about a series of families. Um, and all of that action put into, or uh, doctrine put into action is highly instructive to us. The third category is the Spirit speaks to us as we read the scriptures. What a marvelous thing that is. And testifies and says, this is the truth. Now that same thing, those same three things can happen in other media, mm -hmm. in a novel, in a film especially. That's what I seek to create. So for example, uh, there's a film I made called Mask, spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E, which has won a lot of awards. And it um, is really based on a story about repentance, but it's a novel written by a novelist back in London in 1896. And that story does have a, uh, a meaning and a message to it. Uh, from LDS perspective, it was President Spencer W. Kimball who read that story or, or summarized it in a general conference talk. It was about repentance. And so the writer, uh, a writer uh, said to me for years, you should make that into a film. And, and uh, I said, well, you need to get that script complete. And he said, <laughs> well, obviously that would be a, a church film and maybe a general Christian film because it's about repentance. And I said to him, how about if you make it an entertainment film, same storylines, same character elements and such. So it's repentance, but we don't actually label it as a religious film. Let it be entertainment. And it turned out that it has won 186 film festival awards, worldwide, which has given it legs, given it a lot of traction to reach a whole lot of people. And it's a story about repentance, but it doesn't broadcast that it's a religious message as such. I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, I want to walk out that value a little bit. Do you feel like sometimes... Um and not this isn't specifically within LDS film, but just within, you know, Christian film, or I guess any film where yeah. the message becomes heavy handed, that there's sort of that human nature where we go, I get the point and I don't want it. Not that I don't believe it or want this point to be got, but you're, it's too much. You are going, you have dove, dove too much. It's unrealistic the way that you have heavy handedly approached this. You've expressed a very important point here and it's all too common. Um, in that somebody writing a script, directing a film, will want to make sure nobody misses this message. <laughs> and so they heavy-handedly do that. The reality is all of us have both conscious and subconscious, both spoken and unspoken communications. And the unspoken communications in a script are called subtext. And subtext is highly valuable and highly effective and highly meaningful. And if you take the idea of subtext and say, but I want to make sure nobody misses the point here. And then you put it into clear, specific, strong dialogue. That's called on the nose dialogue, which is really not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And on the nose di dialogue is what is heavy handed and people kind of get turned off by it because yes, I got it. I got the message. And what we really need to do is respect the audience better to understand or to realize they will understand these things. There's an old saying in, among writers in Hollywood that you, and this, this is the film media, so it's a visual media primarily, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the statement is, 
make sure you're clear in your communications. And then, if necessary, use words. <laughs> in, in other words, let the clear communications be the visuals, the things that are juxtapositional and relational, but not heavy-handed in dialogue uh, statements. You know? So yeah, you raise a great point. Is there a lesson to be learned kind of going down this avenue a little bit? Is there a lesson then to be learned as we read the scriptures that there is very much on-the-nose dialogue, but also a tremendous amount of subtext that we should sort of be gathering from, and in some contexts really be the main thrust of what we should be learning, not the on-the-nose dialogue? You're exactly right, and and there is that. And that's a marvelous thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A great thing. So you read through, um, so for example, you read through, parts of the book of John and it's great. And all that. Next time you read through, Oh, there's much more here. Third time you read through, there's much more. So dozens and dozens of times as we read through the scriptures, we receive so much more out of each one of them. And I think that comes from two things. One is what you just described. It's the um, subtext. It's the story elements and such that we have greater insight as we repeatedly review those, read them. Another thing, though, is the Spirit speaks to us and guides us as to other things that it applies to. And what a blessing it is in our lives, I think, for all of us to repeatedly read the Scriptures. I mean, really study them. Not just a few minutes a day, well, I got that chapter, check that box off. But rather, really want to understand and seek the Spirit and pray for guidance when reading the Scriptures. And follow impressions. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to get past three or four verses <laughs> because I'll jump and run to footnotes and, and uh, cross-references and other things, and it gives great insight. But how many verses did I actually get through on that one chapter? Oh, not very many, but boy, did I cover a lot of great territory and marvelous things. I, I, I love scripture study like that. It carries great depth, great meaning, great application, I think, for all of us. I, I also, it's interesting, I've never considered the scriptures and um, the Savior this way, but I, I want to I try and, and talk about it this way, because I think that anytime we can have sort of new insight or a different way of looking at something, I think that some knowledge can be gained. The, the idea of Jesus as a character, now hard pause, I believe Jesus to be the Savior of the world and the Son of God. So I'm just using this as an example, but when people are able to read the scriptures uh, and they speak of Christ, I, you know, it's, it's funny to me, the older that I get and the more opportunities that I have to be able to participate in discussions around Christ, where some people are like, I love Christ because, man, what a merciful character that he can be so merciful to those that are around him and compassionate and other stuff like that. And, and that's really where their attachment with the, and again, air quotes and not uh, any sort of disrespect, but the, where the character of Jesus really appeals to them. And then there are other people who are like, nah, you know, Jesus was a tough guy. He didn't take crap from nobody. He, you know, knew who he was. He saw his, you know, divinity, and he he demanded, you know, that respect when he went into places. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. it's interesting when you have these complex characters, as we talk about movies and films, and, you know, this translates into books, etc., that you have a character, and what that character may be for one may not be for someone else, and 
you know, we we maybe watch a movie as a kid and we go, oh, this is what I I love about this particular movie. We visit it again as an adult. We love it just the same, but for completely different reasons and have attachments to that character in a different way than we would have ever had as a child. That's excellent what you express and how you expressed it. The the uh, over time and as we change, yes, we recognize other uh, dimensions, other character traits. Uh, all of which are exemplary for us in the life of the Savior and uh, throughout the scriptures, infused throughout the scriptures. And those are the richness of the gospel, how it applies to everyone. And I think an important angle for us all to understand is that so many times what we need is what impressions come across to us. And that may be this... uh, charitable, uh, loving, accepting angle. But there may be another time when what we need is to recognize uh, solid doctrine and uh, the the need for um, strength as opposed to just uh, anything goes, whatever. And yeah, so you you expressed it well, that those are, I think, part of what the depth of the scriptures give to us. And that same kind of depth should be in the films. Mm. And, uh, and, and should be in the, in, in the things which we ingest through our eyes and ears. Uh, and we need to be wise and careful about that so that we're not ingesting those things which would send us off in a tangent uh, in a bad way, uh, but the, that are appropriate to our values. Uh, there was a, uh, an interesting article many years back in a magazine called Public Opinion Magazine, Mm -hmm. where there were two groups of people who were surveyed. And the surveyed, the the first surveyed group was general public in the United States. And the general public were asked questions like, do you believe in God? Do you attend church? Do you believe uh, adultery is wrong? I mean, uh, all those kinds of questions, moral questions, uh, uh, values questions. And it gave what the uh, percentages of uh, the answers were from the general public. Then the other group they they surveyed, same questions, Hollywood writers, directors, producers, actors. Hmm. And the disconnect was profound in terms of, do they do you believe in God? Do you attend church? Do you believe uh, adultery is wrong? All of these things, moral and ethical and values-based questions, very huge gap between those two. There's an old saying that says, you write what you know. Well, (laughs) if uh, people are living an R-rated lifestyle, what kind of films are they going to write and produce? And so that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of them as to why there are so many R-rated films made and, uh, and therefore consumed by a whole lot of people who otherwise wouldn't be really resonating necessarily with those R-rated themes, but there's such a plethora of those films out there that some people uh, end up falling into those in great measure and it affects them, uh, guiding, leading them toward that kind of value structure as opposed to the things that studying the scriptures and embracing the values of uh, gospel principles does. Uh, I'd like to take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to pick it right up with the rated R. I have a great question uh, about that. Uh, So we'll get to it coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, do not forget, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall to become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Well, what does that get you? It gets you great and easy access to the almost 600 episodes of the Cultural Hall. Super cumbersome if you're not a Patreon saint to get to some of those early ones, and uh, and I encourage you to do so. There have been people who have just recently found us who have gone all the way back to the beginning to see our very, very tender roots of 600 episodes ago. I encourage you to do that. Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. And don't forget, it gets to gets you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints are hanging out. Robert, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe 20 years ago. Maybe it's 30 years ago now. It's, it's surprising to me how time is sort of irrelevant the older that I get. Um, but there was the... Uh, the talk that was given about the rated R movies and and much discussion has been had as to whether or not it is a doctrine or a practice or just good counsel to avoid rated R movies. Uh, the 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 combatant against that would be, oh, you know, it's arbitrary, and they don't have rated R movies in Australia. They have a different rating system, and the rating system in Canada is different than the. What do you think about? the idea of a rating system and letting that be the only guide as to whether or not we should view that media? Well, first of all, a rating system is a good thing. And secondly, like you implied here, it should not be the only guide. Um, There are uh, some uh, PG-13 films that, uh, how did that ever get past R? (laughs) And and there are uh, some others that, uh, maybe some others that are R-rated for uh, a few words or whatever that maybe are not necessarily uh, bad to watch. I, I, don't, I carefully say that because I just don't watch R-rated films. Although I have to admit, I did see Schindler's List. Sure, but uh, that was an R-rated uh, war, <laughs> and so I, I don't want to make excuses there. But uh, I, I, I don't go to R-rated films. People in the film industry say to me, "Oh, uh, here's this scene that had such and such in it," uh, and they use that as a point of reference to talk about. Uh, something or an imagery or something and i haven't seen the film (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah i I just don't want to do that because i don't want to have those values or lack of values infused in me it's a choice on my part and um i I never brought r-rated home films home for the family or anything Uh, i think there's good reasons not to do that by the way there's not when you talked about media like that earlier and you related it to sugar, which I appreciate that, right? Like we want to take care of our body and eat the proper things. I think that some people would push back and say, well, but Robert, I can have a little sugar. And if I know it's sugar and if I know, 
you know, the amount of what it is or whatever. If I can say, oh, this is just a story, I'm not espousing the morals or, you know, I use this as an opportunity to say, oh, this is just a, an unplug, a, a tune out, a relaxation, a, any of those things to justify how they could w- watch something like that. What do you think about all that? Um, here, here's my answer. The, uh, I was in a discussion, a chat with a friend of mine who's a film director and, and uh, fairly well known among the church. And he said, well, the substance of a meal is the meat and potatoes or the, the main course, that sort of thing. And films are really just the dessert. Hmm. And I, I said to him, wait a minute, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Because the action consequence connections that are expressed in every film, every film, and the stories which are uh, doctrinal or, or principle put into action, that is the substance of what life decisions end up being. And it affects people immensely, and they don't even realize it. It's very often pretty subtle, but it does affect the decision making, our value judgments what we seek, what we choose not to seek, um, what we dwell in our thinking on, those things matter immensely. And so I, I say that a film is, as long, along with any other medium, a main course, not a just a dessert. And yes, there, there can be the sugary sweet ones that make you laugh, and that's great. I, I fully think uh, uh, diversion or uh, uh, just plain fun entertainment is valuable and that's just fine in its time and place. You look at the family proclamation, you've got that list of nine things, um, uh, love, forgiveness, uh, uh, repentance, all of those things. And the last one is, and wholesome family recreation activities. Um, It has its place in a family uh, recreation activities and films are, and media of all kinds, can be a diversion, entertainment, and nothing wrong with that, in its time and place, not to be overdone. But there are also substantive, great things that can come out of films in our lives. And we should be wise in, in choosing what those are. And here, let me get, take, a, take a, an interesting angle on this. Attention, the word, the concept of attention is one of the most precious items in the world. We pay attention to something which means it costs us something. <laughs> you pay attention. It, it's an opportunity cost. It's our time. It's our focus, our efforts. Um, attention is a precious commodity. And in Hollywood thinking, uh, directors, as I've done a lot in Los Angeles and just haven't been a resident there is all, but attention um, in terms of Hollywood thinking is one of the biggest sins that a filmmaker can make is losing the attention of the audience. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of efforts are put into gaining attention. And you mentioned R-rated films before. And I think one of the reasons why there's R-rated films is they are easier to make than substantive and meaningful films, hmm. not R-rated. R-rated films, how do, you, how do you do an R-rated film and grab the attention of people? Well, you have actors take their clothes off or you pull out a gun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that grabs attention. And that is not a substantive, meaningful, beneficial thing, I think. Now, uh, so attention is the uh, commodity that we pay for things. And to grab attention means to grab hearts and minds. And I say that from a film and media perspective of of creating film and media, to grab hearts and minds and take them on a journey. And that's what a, a film is. It's a journey, it's an emotional roller coaster. And it can have great meaning if it 
has resonance with our life's experiences, both past and future. So, Robert, I have my fingers crossed that you have seen this series because I would be fascinated to know your response. Have you seen The Chosen? Yes. Okay, so I want to know from your opinion, um, because The Chosen, although some think that it's an LDS production, and certainly it was filmed the second season part of the second season on the set that the church had built. Um, but Dallas Jenkins, the director, not a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has several people that are members of the church working with him and alongside him. You know, you can see it on the BYU TV app. You can see it on living scriptures. You can see it in a lot of like LDS, um, distribution points. Why do you think that particular telling of Christ and Christ's story has read resonated so much better than other tellings of Christ and his story? Well, um, hats off to uh, Jenkins and everyone involved. It is overall well done. Um, the uh, character and the writing, the characters and the writing of it has some personality and personable elements and interconnections with them, which are uh, meaningful and have some depth to them. Um, the personality as, as expressed in the character of the savior there has a great deal of humanness to it, uh, more so than perhaps other portrayals where mm. the divinity is uh, aloof or above or whatever. And I don't mean to say that a divinity is uh, aloof. It shouldn't be. It's, uh, the divinity of the Savior is real. And it is also personable. The Apostle Paul said that he is not, uh, I have to grab my scriptures off the uh, shelf here, uh, but just from memory, uh, he is not um, uh, distant from us, but in all mm. things, um, uh, relating with us. That's not the terms that are used by Paul, but that's the essence of it. And the essence of what we see portrayed on the screen there is quite good in many ways. Mm -hmm. But we don't see that so often, and I'm not. I'm not going to pick on LDS films. I'm going to talk about sort of Christian films, or even just, I guess, religious films in general. You talk about attention and and where we spend it. For I'm not sure if it's because in some of these instances that these films are introduced and it's sort of mandated viewing. I'm not sure if it's a strictly a budget or the skill behind this. And again, I'm not coming particularly at uh, LDS filmmakers, but there is a lot of bad Christian programming. And I just wonder, I just wonder why this, you know, where talent continues to get better and better, why it, it seems within Christendom, there are only these few films and shows that that kind of stand out and we go, oh, this was so great, but yet there are still so many, you know, not so great things we have to wade through. Well, what it comes down to as to why the not so great ones are created is they're created by uh, people who are fairly shallow in their thinking. I'm sorry to say that, but shallow in their uh, story developments, in their character developments, and then directorially, uh, who do not understand uh, directing well or directing actors or unfolding, that's the term I like to use, unfolding to the audience, the elements, the story elements, the visual elements, the scene elements that uh, will resonate with, with audiences. And the filmmaking skills and writing skills are what is deficit in many of those. Uh, now the concepts and the uh, 
principles being expressed are profound and wonderful. But uh, sadly, um, there's not a, uh, in many instances, there's not a very good understanding of what the depth and meaning and application in our lives of those principles is. And that's what the problem is. So then how could we be better? Is it just a, a matter of scholarship? People need to study and understand these principles more? Or is it an, an embracing as viewership and being able to fund these things? Or, or how do we, I guess what I'm asking, Robert, is how can we make it so that there are better films and more frequently better films or TV shows or, you know, media components that we can be like, ah, I feel fulfilled as opposed to why did I just waste that precious commodity of my time on that not precious uh, production? Well, yeah, you, you raise a very important issue here, and that is that the, uh, first of all, arts of different kinds have expenses to them. Uh, if you're going to write a novel, it's the cost of a, a laptop or, or something to write it on, even a pencil and paper. paper. But if you're going to uh, paint a great painting, yes, you need the oils or acrylics, whatever, and canvas and brushes. If you're going to make a film, it costs a lot of money. And uh, you have to bring a whole team of people, actors, uh, crew people, uh, and others together to make that happen. And there's expenses, huge expenses. Now, I say that because that now becomes a gatekeeper. Who is willing to fund a film? And uh, who, meaning one individual or a group, whatever, where is the funding going to come from to make that film? Very often what happens, and this is why so many lousy films are made, is that there are, there are really two distinct and separate skill sets involved in filmmaking, uh, both writing, directing, all of the, uh, all of the craft. And this, there's skill set one, skill set two. Skill set one is, directorially at least, uh, the ability to direct actors really well, tell a story really well, understand the visual uh, communications, the visual storytelling. So it's not just all verbal, wall-to-wall -wall words, but rather the visual elements and the subtext and all those other things that are uh, resonating with people. That's all skill set one. And you might say, well, that's all filmmaking. Uh, what would skill set two be? then be if skill set one encompasses all of that? Skill set two involved in filmmaking is the ability to stand in front of a person who has a lot of money and convince them that you have skill set one. Now, I say it that way because there are a lot of people with skill set two who don't have skill set one. They're really good at convincing somebody with money to give them the funds to make a film, mm -hmm. and they execute it lousy because they don't really have skill set one. And that happens a great deal. What we need is to have uh, people who are investors in films to have some awareness of what makes a good film versus what does not. And there are a lot of very impressive looking people who are very poor in talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to have people who understand, who have the finances to understand that a little bit better. I want to take another break, Robert. Uh, when we come back, I have one of these dream questions that I love to ask people. Uh, so we'll get to that and the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. That's coming back in the third block. I uh, want to give a shout out right now. Uh, Megan, that is uh, listener Megan. I'm not sure if she's a lifer or a convert here of the Cultural Hall, uh, but she heard me talk about how I do uh, podcast consulting and said, you know what? There's a thing, a, a thing that's been burning inside of me, and I want to be able to share and do this podcast. So she reached out to me and said, hey, what about this? And we're right smack in the middle of that class as I record this. 
And uh, it's fun to hear her start to do interviews and be able to receive that coaching and me be able to walk alongside her and say, yes, this is great. I love what you're doing here. Oh, you may want to think about doing this a little bit differently. And uh, just being able to, to help and nurture and be able to share the things that she feels like she's you know truly God called to share. So if you've got something burning inside you, you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast, but is it that easy? Uh, you can reach out to me. I'm Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias, or you can just drop into the DMs for the cultural hall. I answer those too. Uh, would love to hear from you and work with you uh, as you work on your newest, latest, and greatest project. Hi friends, Dan, the laptop man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com if you have questions, if you uh, want to recommend guests for the future. We certainly love that. Whatever you'd like, our email address, which never closes, contact at theculturalhall.com. All right, Robert, here we go. Uh, you are the man with all the skill, you know, that part one that you talked about right before we took that break there. And we're going to pretend in this situation that I'm the guy that's got all the money in the world, which is a really far-fetched idea if you know anything about my financial <laughs> resources presently. But for the sake of this scenario, let's play it out. I come to you and I say, Robert, you get to make one more story and that's it. You get to do, you get to make one more and it can be scripturally based or, or not. Here is all of the money that you need to be able to make this film. Tell me, what is that film about? Oh man, I have a dozen ideas for all of that. If I were only to make one other film, it would be a film shown in the temple actually. Maybe. Okay. That's what I would love to make. Um, but uh, outside of that, um, I would love to make a film called Instrument, which is the storyline of uh, uh, an older man. And we see through flashbacks through his life, life where he had assumed he um, had failed. And it turns out he was an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And I think to me, that's very, very meaningful. And, uh, you know, somebody might say, well, that sounds like uh, George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. Uh -huh. um, I did not base the storyline on that. There are a few similarities, just a few. Uh, but uh, I think there are great applications in our lives of uh, and humorous, fun, entertaining elements uh, in a family and all of these things uh, that all adds up to realizing that uh, the Lord's hand is in your life. And that there are profound things that happen in everyone's life that are truly beneficial and meaningful to them and to others. And uh, there are some great story elements here that are quite different than, than uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but in the same sense and, and result that uh, uh, you open your eyes and you find tremendous value there. I'd love to make that film. Now I'm searching my pockets because I want to see that film and I'm recognizing I don't have any money to produce that. You know, for a long time, and I've had the the interesting fascination with uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its sort of love of storytelling, pageants, um, the plays, you know, one of the first things when the saints came to the Salt Lake Valley is, you know, to be able to create the, the playhouse that people could be able to come and stories could be able to be shared. I'd be curious, um, if, if that same sentiment, do you feel like translates into movies and, and to television within the church? 
Absolutely, yes. Great question you asked. It definitely uh, translates into that. Let me read you a quote from Brigham Young. He said, quote, if I were placed on a cannibal island and given a task of civilizing its people, I should straightway build a theater. That's yeah. what Brigham Young said. And I don't know if he said it at the time of the dedication of the Salt Lake Theater, but here's a, a, a story element here. Um, uh, the Salt Lake Theater, one of the finest theater buildings of its time, was dedicated in 1862. Brigham Young believed that it had been created for an ennobling purpose. During the dedicatory service, he said, quote, on the stage of a theater can be represented in character, evil and its consequences, good and its happy results and rewards, the weaknesses and follies of man, and the magnanimity of the virtuous life, close quote. Great statement from Brigham Young about the... Uh, dedication of the Salt Lake Theater, and every one of those things applies in film. Uh, Frank Capra, I mentioned It's a Wonderful Life, what a great film that is. And by the way, who are we watching on the screen when we watch the film It's a Wonderful Life? Is it George Bailey? Is it Jimmy Stewart? The answer is, you're watching yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what a film really should be, is uh, you see yourself up there. You see yourself in it. Um, but Frank Capra, I met him briefly once. When I was teaching at BYU, we had him come to, to BYU and speak. And uh, here's a quote from him. He says, no saint, no pope, no general, no sultan has ever had the power that a filmmaker has. The power to talk to hundreds of millions of people for two hours in the dark. Hmm. That's a great quote. You know, and it, it, it's an interesting thing, given the context of It's a Wonderful Life, that it was sort of a flop at the very beginning, uh, to know that then it came into such massive popularity where every Christmas season, Robert, it's on, and every Christmas season, I watch it, and every Christmas season, I bawl like a baby, and my wife always knows it's the night where I'm just going to sit and sob, and we just embrace it for, for, for what it is, because it is, may, I mean, maybe that's too, too self-divulging, but maybe that is the watching myself going, oh, what am I doing here? What, yeah. what, what is the point? What have I, I've clearly missed the thing and, and just sort of sob and sulk within that ref, self-reflection. Well, uh, that is what a film, a well-made film does. It, a film is a great empathy machine. It teaches us empathy. It helps us to relate to other people, but relate to things inside ourselves that we're not aware of. Let me give you another quote here. And this is a heavy duty quote. And I did not, when I've used this in a sacrament meeting talk, I have not read the last sentence. I will just now, uh, but uh, it, it, it's a heavy duty quote. There's a book called um, Rolling Breaks uh, and Other Movie Business. Uh, and it's written by a woman who was a journalist and, and uh, uh, she was around the film industry, but not in it necessarily, but she was in the 1950s growing up. So here's what she said. And by the way, she references um, Samuel Goldwyn. Samuel Goldwyn was Metro Goldwyn Mayer films, and uh, he was quite an odd character in a way. And he made somebody asked him one time, Well, you make uh, message films, don't you? And he said, No, if you want to send a message, call Western Union, <laughs> meaning <laughs> Telegram. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that, so the, that is referenced here in this uh, quote from this woman who wrote the book Rolling Breaks. And she's talking about when she was young. She says, uh, my generation learned, and by the way, it's very instructive about what films do for people or against people. Um, so 
the, her statement is, my generation learned about love and marriage, heroism and cowardice secondhand on slightly used celluloid, meaning film. Quote, when you want to send a message, send it by Western Union, close quote, said Sam Goldman once to justify sailing his glittering entertainments down our Saturday afternoons. But we cheated Goldwyn. For us, every Saturday afternoon was a message. We are the depositories of 100,000 such messages. All the events of the real world filtered down to us through the personalities of movie stars. And in the dark of 100 movie theaters, we learned what was worth doing and the style in which to do it, from Marilyn Monroe's moist lips to Marlon Brando's torn t-shirt to Jimmy Dean's rebellious slouch. The movies were our primer on what to desire. And now the last sentence. After the movie was over, we parked our cars in some deserted street and spelled out our lessons on warm bodies. Oh. <laughs> so what do films do to people, to youth especially, but to everyone? It teaches people what to desire. Now, desire is the pilot of the soul. There's a great quote from Joseph F. Smith, president of the church 100 years ago. He said, the Lord's ways of educating our desires are the best ways. The concept of educating our desires, interesting. We talk about intellectual education, physical education, but educating our desires, that's what guides people in the direction they want to go. It's their wants, it's their desires. Films create desire in people for certain things. And that's something to be really cautious, careful about in our consumption of films and stories as a medium. Robert, it has come to the time where I ask you the three questions that I ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. And I know that we're going to have to do this again because you lamented in one of the breaks that we have barely scratched the surface as to what you want to talk about. So we'll do that again in the future. But for now, uh, these three questions remain. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now, sir? And if so, what is it? Well, uh, we have a large uh, care facility, extended care facility in our state, and I'm in the branch presidency there. And uh, every Sunday is marvelous to go and uh, do uh, two sacrament meetings in different parts of there um, with people who have lived marvelous lives and done great things in their lives. And uh, it's the last stop for them. Wonderful people. So I love doing that calling. Um, uh, so if, you could, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Mission president. <laughs> oh, yeah? Where would you be a mission president? <laughs> um, I don't know. Years and years back, uh, and it's partly what my patriarchal blessing says that I say that from. Uh, but years and years back, I thought, well, uh, China. Uh, and yet China hasn't opened for missionary work yet. Other than mm -hmm. Hong Kong. So I don't know. But wherever the Lord would call me. Okay, well, I'm going to press back on this a little bit. You get the call today, and again, we're walking out scenarios that are not real, Robert, but for the sake of just, you know, pushing you against this. All right, uh, I'm calling you, Robert, and you have to pick right now, and you, and you go, and you'll be there for the three years, but you have to pick right now, country or state, where are you going? Australia. That's where I served my first mission. Okay, okay. Uh, the final question we ask everyone to interpret it however they may. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Wow. Boy, I'm delighted you asked that question. I'll tell you. 
And, and let me preface it with a very brief story. The story goes, I think it's a true story, but I don't know where it took place, that there was a Bible Belt um, Christian college that had a comparative religion class. And the teacher uh, would, in, instead of just saying, here's what this church believes, he would invite an active member of that church to come and present for that class period what they believe. And so he invited an LDS member to come and that member uh, presented. And of course the teacher said, leave some time for questions at the end. And so he presented plan of salvation and restoration, all of those things, marvelous. And at the end, uh, fielded questions from the students and the teacher then raised his hand and said, I have last question for you. I have heard this statement from LDS people. And the statement is, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. Do you really believe that? And remember the church, I guess this was late 80s or whatever, when it was kind of being blasted a bit by some Protestant people. And the member of the church thought, oh no, this will undo everything I've said. <laughs> but then he thought, we do believe that. So he said to the teacher and everyone, he said, yes, we believe that. And the teacher said, if that is true, I cannot think of any concept more thrilling than that. And it is thrilling and absolutely thrilling. I was in the chatting with uh, uh, a couple of my friends. One of them is uh, Robert Millett, who's probably the most uh, published author in the church, former Dean of Religion at BYU, a great man. And he actually on a film I directed reviewed the script and was very encouraging on that. Um, but I was chatting with him about that very topic. And he said, uh, half a billion people, Christians in the world believe that. And I said, well, really, it's not Catholic doctrine. He said, it's Orthodox Christian doctrine. Yeah. So Eastern Orthodox Christians, half a billion of them, that's part of their doctrine is deification or theosis is the other term used for it. But that we become, we as humans can become like our, divine parents. What a marvelous principle, doctrine that is, profound. And I think to see ourselves with that potential now, it informs me, certainly, and I would hope for everyone else, that they, that the choices we make, the path we take, any detours, repent, come back to the mainstream, onto the straight and narrow. This is toward godhood to become like our parents because families are important because God created us as a family. And I mean, spiritually all across the spectrum of the uh, plan of salvation and not just only in earth, but what a profound, marvelous thing that is. And by the way, the early church fathers, as they call them, the people who lived after, just after the apostles. So after the apostle Paul died, um, Athanasius, uh, 200 AD or whatever it was, he said, God became man that man might become God. And there are hundreds of quotes like that among early church fathers. It's a doctrine that was true and, and believed clear back then, it was lost in the Middle Ages and such. But the, uh, the truth is, what a profound goal that should be for all of us. Yeah. And we receive that through the Savior. And I, I say that clearly. It's not something you earn. And uh, not something you go out and achieve. It's something you receive. Um, 
section uh, 14, verse 7 uh, says, and if you keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. That's why I named that film called Intimate. Yeah. Uh, if people want to reach out to uh, Robert Hatch and fund Instrument, that last film that Robert is going to do, uh, best place for them to to reach out to you and give you money, Robert? Oh, hey, I'd be delighted to hear from people. Uh, my email address, the number four, the letter R, and then my last name, Hatch, 4rhatch at gmail. People can reach out to you there. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. That if you're he- not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles, I Told You So, will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat On the back row, we really gotta go On the Culture Hall Show